ago on a podcast far, far away. Hi, this is Retake, Rebel Alliance of podcasters that have come together in the force to repel the evil podcasting empire forces. We review new Star Wars films, old Star Wars films, animated Star Wars stories, original Star Wars films, pretty much anything that catches our fancy. Hi, I'm Tim, and I will be the Jedi Master defending against the evil empire on this episode of Retake. Joining me today are Joe and TJ, uh, which, uh, you know, there's no description for them, so I'm assuming that they're Padawan still. <laughs> Highly skilled in the ways of the Force themselves. Thanks, Tim. I, I, I guess I'm a Padawan. Okay, that's fine. I mean, it seemed appropriate for you to really kind of lead this conversation because you are one of the biggest Star Wars, Star Wars nerds that I know. Really? Wow. Well, I mean, you're into it, you know? You're into it. I always feel really like big... they're more, you know, they're more nerdy Star Wars people than I am, but uh, but yeah, well, I am I mean, honored to carry that title. <laughs> well, I just know that you're really, really into Star Wars, and you even wrote this big old uh, post on on your site, which we should put in the show notes, about what you consider to be canonical Star Wars films. Now, you made bold statements. Oh. Yes, <laughs> my personal favorite Star Wars films. Also, hi yeah, Joe. Yes. Hey, hey guys. <laughs> I, I hate the word Padawan. Can we retract that? <laughs> I Padawan Joe. I, I, oh, oh, it's disgusting. Uh, can, I be, can I be a knight at least? Oh. <clears throat> well, I'm a knight. I, you can call me a Padawan, but I'm a Jedi knight. <laughs> I think that's what all Padawans think. Um, <laughs> you mean like Ahsoka? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so today we're talking about Star Wars, the original Star Wars, which is episode four, later given episode four, A New yes. Hope. And uh, we're dedicating... Uh, this show to really the only royalty that I've ever recognized, probably any of us have ever recognized, Carrie Fisher. Um, mm. Yes. Uh, after her passing, so we're really excited to be talking about this movie. Uh, so let me let me give you the stats as we usually do. Uh, Star Wars was released May twenty fifth, nineteen seventy seven, uh, much before I was ever born. I think it's safe <laughs> to say it was before any of us were born. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, the director yeah, and writer. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's before I was born. <laughs> oh, okay. The the director and writer are George Lucas, surprisingly. Uh, <laughs> I'm surprised I like this movie, and he both directed <laughs> yeah. and wrote it. Um, yes. it. It had a production budget of $11 million, which sounds crazy now, uh, and a worldwide gross of $775.3 million. And it stars Mark Hamill, Harrison, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, Peter Cushing, um, Alec Guinness, Anthony Daniels, Kenny Baker, Peter Mayhew, David Prose, and of course, James Earl Jones, uh, one of my favorites of all time. I just want to point out about the worldwide gross that this is the highest uh, grossing Star Wars film of the original trilogy. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but uh, let me, do we, do we have on hand uh, the stats for like The Force Awakens? Just to compare. Oh, well, The Force Awakens blew it away. It is. Um, I'm look, I've got it right here. Where'd it go? Because um, I'd Force love Awakens. to hear. I'd love to hear what their production budget was and then their gross worldwide. gross. Oh, the production budget. Sorry, I don't quite I don't have that because I was just looking at a link that gives. Oh, no, here it is. Production budget. Three hundred and six million for The Force oh, Awakens. So a, a little bit more. Here's what it worldwide <laughs> box office gross. Worldwide box office gross is okay. two trillion. Wow. Wait, do I have that right? Wait, I gotta find. Oh, hang on, I'm really bad with these numbers. Okay, <laughs> thousand million billion trillion. Yeah, two trillion fifty eight billion six hundred sixty two thousand two hundred twenty five dollars is what the Force Holy Awakened moly. grossed worldwide. That's a little more than the last time I looked. <laughs> I I and I think I will, we're done, guys. Good show, everyone. <laughs> I'll I'll say this again. I wonder why they're making more of these. I have no idea. I can't idea. figure it out. <laughs> Oh, man. Are we sure that it doesn't include, like, T-shirts, graphic T-shirts, and merchandise? I, I don't think so. That's not my understanding. That's amazing. That's just box office haul is, what, is, is the numbers that we're looking at. We can only hope that as they make more of these, Tim, because it's earning them so much money, that they'll continue to keep the caliper of the stories high as they yeah. have with the last two Star Wars films. That, the, that Since since Lucas has left, it's gotten better. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, this this film was also the first of, again, the Star Wars films, and it was composed by John Williams, which has now, uh, he's gone on to compose every single Star Wars film. 
uh, except episode. for uh, the spinoff, um, the first spinoff. And I don't think he'll score any of the spinoffs. Um, no, I think I think he would have had he been younger. But at this point, yeah. I think he's just sticking to the episodes, which I think is good because, as we discussed on that other episode, it gave another composer room to play with Williams' right. themes, which was amazing. But I'm glad that Williams is doing these because he is the canonical Star Wars musician. Do you do you feel that he will go on to compose after Episode Nine? Because I, I personally, I feel like Episode Nine might be his cutoff. Like he'll I think be he's done. very I aged. Think- I think he would like to retire someday. I mean. At least be retired <laughs> right. for a few years, you know, and catch up on some movies. See, I don't think he wants to retire I, from what I understand. And I, I can understand that. I don't plan to retire, but from doing whatever it is I'm doing when I'm 90. But I, but, yeah, but there's got to be a cutoff point at 90, right? I mean, you'd, you'd retire <laughs> at 90. Please say No, I'm not planning on it. I'm not planning on it. <laughs> I'll be doing something. I don't want to be one of those people that just does nothing and then, you know, dies. Uh, and John Williams certainly <laughs> is not one of those people so far. So uh, anyway, yeah, I Tim, to your point, I, I think that episode nine will probably be he will have scored nine episode, uh, episodes of the Star Wars franchise. And yeah. He'll be happy to hand the reins over at that point, I would guess. But yeah, nobody said. I, and, and I know that he has said that he doesn't want he can't stand the thought of anybody else composing for Ray, for instance. Are, 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 which movie are we talking about? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I, right. I, I'm just glad that he didn't stop at, you know, six because that would have been a shame. But anyway. Um, all right. So, uh, again, we're talking about the first Star Wars film, A New Hope. Uh, where do we want to start here? I think it's worth noting just like how huge this was to our childhood and how much it yes. molded the film industry and really just influenced all of the entertainment we've had now for the last, how many years? 40, 40 years. Wow. I, 77. I, I, I don't remember life before Star Wars because I didn't live before Star Wars. And <laughs> I, I think that this, uh, this epic is just really shaped our culture, not like mostly for the better. Uh, I think that it's really been positive in how we, how we produce stories, you know, tell stories certainly done a good thing for even written fiction. And it's odd. I I didn't really grow up with star Wars because most of my older cousins and my aunts and uncles and friends like that in our circles, they had grown up with star Wars. They had enjoyed it for so long that by the time I was born, it was old hat. And so when I was, Mm. when I was a youngster, nobody cared to watch it because they had already seen it so many times and so hmm. I would just see bits and pieces when I was four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten, at in passing, like, hey, what's this? Uh, what's this on the TV here at the barber shop? Oh, it's a uh, Star Wars episode four. Huh. Well, what are they doing? Uh, it looks like a boring office discussion between uh, Nazis. Uh, okay. <laughs> and then I'd walk away from it, and I just really didn't get into it until the special edition came in '97. So. I, I was blown away because that was the excuse to actually take the time to watch the trilogy. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I can identify Joe. Uh, I think I'm the oldest of all of us on this podcast, but not by much for you, Joe. But but uh, I also was born after a time when Star Wars came into the world. Uh, but I got to watch it much more. I watched all three of the films as, you know, as I was a child all the time at various times. Although we had somehow Return of the Jedi on VHS and I watched that one the most. The others we would rent occasionally. I don't oh. know how that happened or, or why that was, but but Star Wars has definitely always been a uh, wait for it a force in my life. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I was wa- as I watched it last night, I was realizing, uh, and you know, they they talk about the groundbreaking special effects and various things that Star Wars pioneered, and you know, except for a few bits and bobs here and there, the the film really does hold up. And I was I was watching. Of course, the despecialized edition, which is uh, sourced from as many places as they can to put together the original theatrical cut, but in HD. And so, uh, you know, it it really does hold up well, uh, particularly in HD. uh, But all the effects, they've they've used the model effect shots to put the despecialized edition together. And it just it mostly works. So there are obviously some shots that, you know, like when the when the lightsabers come on, they have to cut and then they change out the lightsaber model and, you know, they cut back and there's little jumps in the cut there like that. But but as a whole, I think the film really holds up and it's a testament to the pioneering of the special effects uh, as much as anything. Uh, And then, of course, there's the story, which which holds up pretty well. It's not my favorite Star Wars film, but it's a good one. 
Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of my, uh, my opening statement for the film. Yeah. So, uh, I guess I'll go now. Um, man, I, I was born much, uh, you know, uh, much later than this <laughs> first film, uh, came out. And in you were fact, born the day that the, uh, Phantom Menace came out, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, not, not that recently, but, uh, I, I was, I was born nine years after, uh, Return of the Jedi was released. Mm. So, mm. uh, I have the unique privilege of living in a world where the original trilogy was already complete by the time that I was born. Um, and, uh, I will say that a new hope is not my favorite of the star Wars films. In fact, I've categorized it as number four, uh, in my list, but, um, it, it is, it is definitely, I think, uh, as most will agree is the start of something amazing. Um, it yes. lays the groundwork for, what has been decades of entertainment, what has been decades of amazing stories, what has been decades of exploring this complete universe. Um, uh, and, and in a lot of ways, uh, undiscovered in so many different ways, there's a lot of story that we still don't know that we still don't have answers to um, that I think we'll see in years to come as Disney, uh, squeezes every last drop <laughs> from this orange. <laughs> um, I, I like to refer to them as they're going to start filling in the, the crack, cracks and crevices in the corners. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but I, I, I love how uh, this film sets up so many great things and um, it is, uh, it's so, I don't know, for me, it's nostalgic, you know? Um, and, and I think, uh, again, this is why I like The Force Awakens so much, because to me, it reminded me of this original movie, of this beginning, of uh, telling telling a new type of story. And I don't know, I, I grew up with Star Wars, so um, this is obviously a, a big part of that. Um, so I, I, I loved it. <laughs> I, I love this movie. Um, but as I said, it's, it's not my favorite of the Star Wars films, but I, but I love what it sets up. And, and the way that we're introduced uh, to the wonderful music that we've uh, experienced throughout Star Wars, um, like the wonderful character of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Like, I love mm, Obi-Wan mm. Kenobi, and I've loved him throughout all of Star Wars, and I'm hoping that they do more with Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, so, yeah. yeah he, he really is the bright light, even in the prequels, of, of the entire franchise, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and I just want to say too, you keep uh, comparing it to the Force Awakens, and I think it's it's good. In the you're right, the Force Awakens does bring that nostalgia, and that is one of the things I like about the Force Awakens. But having watched uh, A New Hope last night, I, I just want to say that it put put into stark contrast for me how um, the word I want to use. I didn't grow up using that word, and so and I probably shouldn't use it on the podcast. So I'll just say cow feces. It's it's cow feces. This idea <laughs> that um, okay. that the Force Awakens is a is a, just a new hope. Re- reimagined or redone it, right. it's not it's not i hate that i hate it when people say that and having watched new hope last night it just puts that into such stark contrast that it is not it is it calls back to it and it reminds you of it but it's not the same story and it just bugs me so anyway i had that out of my off my chest now <laughs> right i really think that the force awakens feels like it has been an epic way of refining what you can do with the expanded universe because mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. is a lot of George Lucas like flavoring to this film. This is a younger George Lucas when he was still influenced by the American graffiti, you know, in some of his college days, experimenting with film techniques. He was copycatting a lot of his favorite films because yeah. he still had a little bit of that film student, you know, like mindset in him. But at the same time, he was taking so many risks because I think that. He he understood he he didn't have anything to lose in a manner of speaking financially like he he didn't have a massive fortune and he wasn't milking the cow for all it was worth. (laughs) He was trying to create the cow and the farm and everything that comes with it. And it's interesting just how he approached it as a business that he was interested in making the revenue off of merchandise. I, I really honestly I know that that's a genius stroke on his part as a businessman but I still don't understand why he did it. Like no one has made, I'm sure that there is some interview somewhere where Lucas will explain why he was willing to take that risk, who advised him 
to bank on toys and t-shirts and posters and music and the like. But I, I don't think that that idea could have originated with him. Maybe it did. But when it comes to this movie, like the spirit of it all is that not only is it super creative and fun, but I just love it as a child when I was watching the film and I thought to myself, you know, every little like detail has already been covered. Like it doesn't just feel like an old weathered universe. A lot of people love this film because it looks like it's always been here. It it looks like it's thousands years old that R2-D2 is a weathered, you know, astro droid that has already seen a lot of action and he's experienced even in his simplistic behavior. But beyond that, it's not just like how well designed all the set pieces, the props and the miniatures are, but that everything feels like it has a back history that goes for thousands of years. Yeah. The, the yeah. way that, you know, Darth Vader talks about the Sith, it makes some very interesting allusions that go, you know, way back in time. And then Obi-Wan Kenobi talking about things when he was young and how he raised a man many, many, many years ago that was Luke's father. And it's just so immersive that as, uh, you know, as fans over the years, we all noticed the aliens and the droids in the background and made up stories about them because the universe is just that rich for a film this was really uncanny. This was not something that you would come across in the seventies and it's still rather rare because you know, like these days we still see a lot of movies and TV shows that want to make you convinced that this scene is happening in New York city on the street, but we all know that that's not New York city on the street. (laughs) And there's nothing really all that convincing about the people walking around on the set that are in the background as extras. Not really, but for this like, you really believe that's Owen Lars's house in the sand yeah. under the ground. Yeah. What mm-hmm. put it there? Why? Well, he is a moisture farmer. Duh. You know, <laughs> so <laughs> those things are just so Does anyone actually impressive. know what that means? No, I don't. <laughs> I was just thinking that. <laughs> I, I still don't know what a moisture farmer is. How, how do you farm but, but- moisture? But it's one of those things, though, that adds to the fa- to, the, to the the creative fabric of the universe, and it doesn't take you out of the film. You, you wonder these things later, but you you say, okay, he's I'll, I'll I'll table that, and we'll come back to that, and and it's it's fine. I, I don't have to have every question about the universe answered, but it adds to this rich texture of the universe that you know the Star Wars universe, even throughout the prequels, even even uh, as much as I can complain about them, the Star Wars universe feels like a universe that exists somewhere in time and space, somewhere away far, you know, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, the universe has that feel to it, and it really is an incredible feat, particularly. And again, I was noticing this having watched newer Star Wars films more recently, and then going back to A New Hope. And and noticing that, you know, George Lucas largely pulled it off with that first film. He he made us believe that we're in this big battle station, that we're on this planet Tatooine that has these weird suns and like he pulled it off. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's that's true. You know, and I uh, something I, I I keep coming back to when it comes to A New Hope is the music, because I feel mm, like the, yes. the, the score for this film uh, sells a lot of a lot of what's going on a lot of the scenes a lot of a lot of the feeling that you get uh on this on this well, you know, on on, in Wars this style. universe yeah yeah, yeah. It, it established it and 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 interestingly it's 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 amazing how and i again i've i'm kind of repeating myself here but it, it's amazing how these themes that were created for this first film continue to ground you throughout the whole saga not only oh, yeah. not only the third you know the three uh episodes of the original trilogy but but even throughout um the prequels that you know didn't feel like star wars but their music felt like star wars right and and yeah. now in the newer films this music continues to ground you in this in this universe and it makes you feel uh it, it like welcomes you back, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, it well, welcomes well, you yeah. back in it and it puts you in, in that emotional feeling of, oh, this is Star Wars. Well, even, you know, when Michael Giacchino did Rogue One, 
Um, you uh, before you even see the Death Star, you hear that theme that John Williams did. That da 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 da, you know, and and you hear it yeah. and you go, oh, we're about to see the Death Star. Yeah. Like you, you don't even think about it. It's just <laughs> natural. You go, oh, we're about to see the Death Star, and and it really like he established that forty years ago. Yeah, and Michael Giacchino is still echoing it in Rogue One. Um, so yeah, ab- absolutely. And and have you seen uh, that? Uh, and I know it's done as a joke, but it really does kind of highlight the fact that some of these scenes don't actually work without music. Have, has have either of you seen that thing? I, I, was it College Humor? Somebody did a video where they took all the music out of the end sequence. I of, have seen of, it. It's a new hysterical. <laughs> and and it's like it's so awkward and weird, and it doesn't work without that triumphant <laughs> music. <laughs> So you're absolutely right, Tim. I have not watched that, but I now I feel like I have to. Yeah, it's it's very awkward, and they've dubbed they've they've brought in some foley when you know and and done some dubbing and stuff, and and so they've done it for humor. But it really does also just underscore how terrible that scene would be without John Williams' music. (laughs) He really adds to the 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 fabric of this universe and to the movie for sure. Um, at some point, I want to talk about too how Rogue One has colored our perception because that's really, for my, I think, one of the motivations for us yeah. doing this episode is how Rogue One has colored our perspective now of A New Hope. Okay, well, one one thing that I wanted I wanted to address really quickly was the casting of this film because I feel like this film would not work if these people, if these exact people would have been would not have been casted. And the the biggest example of this that I can think of. Uh, off the top of my head is Han Solo. Like Han Solo does not work if it is not Harrison Ford. And I agree. what's crazy about this is like, it, you know, there were, there were multiple people who auditioned for this role and yet it was Han Solo. Uh, I'm sorry. It was Harrison Ford who got this part <laughs> and it, they're one and the same Tim. <laughs> yeah. And, and it, and it blew up his career. Like after this, he was a star. Yeah. Yeah. It's also really impressive to me how different he feels as Indiana Jones. He doesn't feel like the same person as a child. I don't think it really clicked until my dad pointed it out. Like, yeah, that's Harrison Ford. He's both guys. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, when I'm watching Indiana Jones, I know it in my head that it's Harrison Ford, but it doesn't say like nothing says Han Solo. So it is interesting. Like he actually is a very good actor at times. And, you know, sometimes we, we can all see movies where he's phoned it in. Um, but, 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 you know, back in those days, he was such a good actor and he really brought to Han Solo something that, you know, there's a reason why all the other casting choices, you know, they kept going through people trying to cast. I don't know if you're familiar with the stories, but the story is that, um, they kept trying to cast Han Solo and they, you know, George Lucas couldn't find the guy he wanted. And, and eventually like somehow or another Han or Harrison, I'm doing it. Harrison Ford had come in uh, and was just doing some some readings, you know, so that the other characters would be acting off of something. And George Lucas said, "No, wait, no, no. This is this is this is my this is my Han Solo right here." <laughs> that, that's that's the way I remember reading the story. Anyway, I, this was several years ago when I read about this, but that that's the story. And and just almost like how different would the Star Wars universe be if they had not found Harrison Ford? Like, you know, or for that matter, Carrie Fisher as Leia. I don't think the character of Leia works if it's not Carrie Fisher playing her. Uh, just just because of the, what she brings to that role, her her young, vibrant tenacity yeah. and, and you know, get this big, furry walking carpet out of my way. You, you know, like who else can <laughs> yeah. do that? And, and you and you still like them, <laughs> yeah. you know, because when you think about it, like I, I had this thought last night when I was watching. That's that she's being kind of mean and, and, yeah. and uh, w- not racist, I guess. But well, I guess specious? it is racist. Specious. Yeah, yeah, there you go. It's just like, what, what is <laughs> get this big? Would someone get this big walking carpet out of my way? You know, I just, you know, but she, she manages to do it and we, yeah. we love her. <laughs> I, I love that a quality of snarkiness about both a new hope and the original toy story that for whatever reason in the writing room, it seems like they just loved to create sarcasm and wry jokes and insults. And they threw them into both of those movies. And as those films franchises both took off and became much more nostalgic and valuable and monumental to the audiences around the world, you know, they kind of whitewashed the characters a little bit. They've put smiling faces on them. They, they never do anything wrong. They're a little bit more like Disney princesses at Disney world. Like they're just perfect little people. And I think that that's in the long term kind of what Leia became by uh, the force awakens. But here we see just this raw girl who <laughs> really has no patience for these walking carpets. 
I think another another great uh, <laughs> another great casting choice is James Earl Jones. I mean, they 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 originally told David Prose that he was not going to be the voice of Darth Vader, and and when you when you watch videos of David Prose doing the lines of Darth Vader, can, <laughs> he's hilarious. Yeah. It's, it's awful. It's it's absolutely horrible, and you can tell. You know, thank goodness that they replaced this guy with somebody else. Um, but obviously, you know, it, it it turned out to be James Earl Jones, which, again, has become an icon. And at the time he I think by the by the time that he did this movie, I want to say that he was already a successful like theater star. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Was he was sure. he a movie star by this point, though? I don't think so. I don't know. I know he was a lot into theater at the okay. time. This may have been, but I, I, I really, I would be speaking out of turn if I said I knew because I don't. So either way, it, I mean, his his voice brings something to this character that is so amazing. But I will not take away credit from David Prose because I still feel oh, yeah. that he is the best person to have ever walked in Darth Vader's suit because I. I I agree, and I was going to say that too. Is because it, it's it's both, right? It's David Prose, exactly, who, who taught us what, who who shows us how Vader moves and yes. conveys himself in that physical presence. Yes. and it's James Earl Jones who brings the voice. And and you know the guy who did uh, Rogue One. I hope I'm not speaking out of turn. I don't think it was David Prose. Uh, no, is he even. I don't. Okay, so but but I think he did okay in imitating David Prose, and you can definitely tell. But you can tell he's trying to imitate David Prose, and and you don't think about it too much. But when you do think about it, you can tell. And he, he didn't have the walk down right. He, not quite. He didn't yeah. have the walk down right. And then of not course, quite, not quite strutty enough. And then and then of course, I mean, I'm sorry. They gave they 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 allowed Hayden Christensen to be in the Vader suit for yeah. episode three, and that was yeah. not good. In like yeah. the few seconds <laughs> that we got yeah. to see Darth Vader in that one, so. I I have to give huge props to both David Prose and James Earl Jones because the way that they you know, they basically tag teamed Darth Vader for three movies. And uh, it's because of both of them that this character is so iconic. And and in my opinion, one of the best villains ever. I, I completely agree. And I want to say, uh, because we do want to make the comparison and talk about how Rogue One is now colored, our perception of this film. As we think about Rogue One coming before and all the events and, and literally the jump to light speed of Leia's ship. And then you see yes. them coming out of light speed over Tatooine and the, you know, the star destroyer is literally, you know, on bearing down on them from the previous scene in rogue one. And so you had this incredible tense, uh, scene in rogue one where you're literally cowering in your seat from the Sith Lord murdering everybody. Yeah. And you're like, okay, how does that hold up going into a new hope? And the only thing I could keep thinking uh, when I was evaluating Rogue One afterwards was, well, there's that wimpy fight with, you know, Vader and, and, and Obi-Wan, and that really doesn't work very well. But then I watched this film again last night and like, oh, wow, you know, Vader comes, you know, knocking down the door and he's he's crushing people's windpipes and throwing them against the wall. And, you know, he's, he's like, uh, I bring me the passengers. I want them alive. Yeah. You, know, you know, and it's like he's very angry. And now we know why. And and it really at least that part of the transition works very very well. <laughs> yeah, I I mean, and and obviously this, this is how they wrote Rogue One, right? Because you're supposed to feel like those events happen directly before this movie. Um, mm-hmm. And and I can't I can't wait to be able to buy Rogue One so that I can watch them kind of in succession because I want to do that. I am I am feeling the need to watch Rogue One again yeah. really badly. Um so but but I, I, I totally agree with you. I think uh Rogue One did really good in establishing a little bit more power to Darth Vader that they originally had not given him, for example, in that original fight with Obi-Wan, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's a very laid back fight. It's definitely yeah. not anything close to the fight that they have on Mustafar. And uh, no. <laughs> and I mean, it's so weird and it's understandable, right? Because in, in this situation, both of these people are older. I mean, if, if Alec, mm. you know, if Obi-Wan Kenobi here is in his seventies or sixties or seventies, that would, that would mean that Anakin was Wait. already in his fifties. Okay. So two, two things I, w- I want to back up, um, and say how old was, how old was Anakin and how old was Obi-Wan at the end of Revenge of the Sith? How old were they? Do we do we have those figures from Lucasfilm, or are we guessing, or do we know, or what's the story? My my guess would be that Anakin at that point is about thirty, and okay. and Obi Wan would be uh, 
37, 39, around there. Because so I, because let's I, just be I would, generous and I would say that he's about ten years older than Anakin. Okay, so let's be generous and say that Obi Wan's forty, Anakin's thirty, and we know that it's nineteen years later. Right? Um, does it really work? Is is Obi Wan a little too aged? And and then yeah. secondly, like how old is Yoda? So so this is why the, I understand from a real world perspective why this happened. They didn't know what lightsabers were. They didn't know what, how these fights <laughs> were going to work and how they're going to be choreographed. And, yeah. and Empire Strikes Back does a much better job at making lightsabers cool. But but this one, it's like. They don't know what they're doing and all that. So in the real world, it makes sense. But story-wise, it's a little lame. It's yeah. just like I don't care how – if it's been 19 years and they're older, <laughs> they they their fight should have been much closer to what it was on Mustafar. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think true. that the production budget limits are really a re- sh- the problem there because I'm sure that George wanted that to be whiz-bangery and to be pretty cool. But I, I just don't think that they had the availability for you know the chops you need to sell an amazing lightsaber duel. And they didn't no, know I, I get it. I get it in the real the world. Yeah. And yeah. I, I yeah, agree with in, that big yeah. time because this is like two, 2017 commentary on this fight. But I, but I'm, I know, I know. I'm sure in 1977 they were like, oh, laser swords. That is amazing. You know? Oh, I, I, I know that's the way it was. People have talked about that that aspect of Star Wars, just this cool laser sword, yeah. and then you know, like the whole scene with the trench run and the Death Star, like those were that was all very groundbreaking. And it, it's a you know we have what we have today because of Star Wars. Without without question, Star Wars gave us what we have today in terms of good effects and things. Yeah, without question. Do we? But 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 in the in the in, in terms of the story in 2017, I I feel like Rogue One really worked well. To yes. establish Vader as a as as a really bad guy it, that that and, yes. it, and it worked well going into the next scene that that was my point yeah <laughs> well and I I I was about to ask do we want to talk about the other elements that Rogue One contributed to this film because I yes. think the the big yes. element for me and for I think a lot of Star Wars fans was was the idea of you know the Death Star was kind of an easy thing to destroy and yet. Rogue One adds so much context to A New Hope by explaining to us why the Death Star had this huge, huge flaw. Well, another thing that Rogue One does is it gives us more time to sink into the different factions that are warring with each other. Because in A New Hope, it's taken for granted that there are going to be other stories that flesh out the Rebel Alliance. So they don't do a lot to really explain the rebel rebel alliance to show off the leaders to give them some personality right. so you feel really comfortable with the rebel alliance no you really just feel comfortable with han solo's posse in the millennium falcon the droids and luke right. and it's because of that core group that you accept the rebel alliance but then the rebel alliance doesn't do very well in the battle so in the end all you really care about is Luke and Han, and well, yeah, of course, all the Rebel Alliance should be celebrating them with medals at the end of the film. Are you kidding me? They right. saved the film. The Rebels had nothing to do with it. <laughs> well, ninety-eight percent of the fighters were basically all destroyed and killed in the attack on the Death Star. I mean, yeah. basically, it was yeah. Wedge and Luke that escaped. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I, I definitely Wedge, appreciate right? the Rebel Alliance a heck of a lot more thanks to Rogue One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it added depth and nuance where, you know, you you definitely see from Luke's perspective, oh, he's idolized this Rebel Alliance and he's going to join it and he's going to join the good fight. But we see a lot more nuance because of Rogue One in the Rebel Alliance and there's a lot more going on here. Um, and, and you're and you're definitely right, Tim, too, about I've, I've always in the back of my head and I think I may have even mentioned this the last time I talked about this film on a podcast – the, the the ease of the way that the the Death Star was destroyed. I don't care if it was oh well you know they're just little ships and the the Empire <laughs> didn't expect them to be little ships. Yeah. And, well, it just doesn't it didn't make a whole lot of sense until you get Rogue One in the mix and you're like oh that's always the way it was meant to be. A weakness was built into the Death Star because of sympathizers with the Rebel Alliance. And I mean you know? and that that is that is the amazingness of now Disney controlling Lucasfilm. They can go back and create whole movies. To repair plot holes. I mean, that's pretty stuff awesome. that George Lucas didn't care. George Lucas <laughs> made more plot holes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I just think, you know, I mean, it's it's awesome that now we have a whole movie that is dedicated to explaining this this again, in my opinion, a huge plot hole in A New Hope. Yeah. Uh, agreed. The other thing that Rogue One does is it gives us a much better sense 
of who Tarkin is and how um, how uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Evil is is is, <laughs> is akin to the word I'm looking for, but but just menacing. Like like he has. He, you know, he he takes glee. Well, like, and and then you look at him in that scene with Princess Leia in A New Hope after you see him in Rogue One, and it just enhances the entire. You know, oh. I grow tired of asking, so it'll be the last time. And you are, and now you know, having seen Rogue One, he, you know, he's he's a mover and a shaker in the evil way. Yeah, like he's gonna get it done. And and then him destroying a planet, like, uh, yeah, it just adds so much more menace to him as a character. Well, he was already menacing, right? He yeah. was already, and it's almost it's almost sad to me in a way that they killed him in the first movie because what a great villain he was. Yeah, and and if you want even more context on Tarkin. Again, I would recommend the Clone Wars. I've been talking about the Clone Wars. Yeah, yeah, trying to get there. Um, we're going we're, we're to talk about it on the show when I get through the first season. Yeah, we're, but we're working. I, on it. I would recommend to all the listeners to watch the Clone Wars because you get a lot more context on General Tarkin, on what he was before the the Empire, um, and and you can totally see uh, the character arc for this particular character of of how this person, you know. Uh, supposedly on the right side of things, uh, uh, you know, on the uh, in fighting for the Republic, ends up being this uh, villain for the Empire. Yeah, well, I mean, like like anybody, uh, like a lot of people, I'm sure he. he I suppose, I, and you would know more because you've seen the Clone Wars. But I suppose the angle could definitely be: well, he was on the good guy's side, but because Emperor Palpatine flipped everything on its head. Uh, he still may think he's one of the good guys, but yet he's he's definitely politically inclined to move up the ladder and, yeah. and basically moving toward evil. He, he's power hungry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very power hungry. Which, which is very, very well flushed out in Rogue One. Yes. You know, he used uh, the entire situation, you know, to his advantage. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, killed, killed Krennic, you know, the, the guy it, that invented the thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then and then that scene, I was watching the scene in A New Hope, of course, where he's sitting at the table and the other people are debating the power of the Death Star. And, and he's just sitting there quietly. Like, And it makes more sense now because we know what his opinion is. But, you, you know, he his opinion is, I'm going to take the Death Star and I'm going to blow stuff up. And, <laughs> and uh, the other people are debating the merits of the Death Star. I mean, it just added so much more dimension to him as a character, which, which I didn't even know I wanted. And yet here we are. And I, I did want it after all. <laughs> yeah. So... I want to talk a little bit about the uh, the things that don't necessarily add up in terms of details. We've talked about some of the story plot holes and the the effects that didn't work. Oh and boy, the production value that doesn't work. Um, are, are there any other like details that just strike you as odd? Uh, not, and maybe we want to talk about these special effects that were added after the original, or maybe there was something even in the original that just doesn't work to you even today. Maybe something that's starting to feel dated. I want to throw out one example. Uh, one example is Luke's lightsaber. It, it it appears white when it is on, when he's mm. swinging around. And then you would think to yourself, okay, that's probably because this is a really old film and this is the first lightsaber you ever get. And the visual artists just didn't know what to do with it. They're trying to capture George's vision and they're not exactly sure that laser swords are supposed to be colored yet. But then you see Vader's and it's red and even Obi-Wan's <laughs> is clearly blue. Yeah. So why isn't Luke's bl- uh, blue as well? And I mean, even in the specialized editions in every specialized edition, they white. haven't gone back and fixed that. Yep. It's still white. Like that is a no brainer of all the things you would touch up. Why wouldn't you make the, bl- the blade that's blue in the Empire Strikes Back blue in this film? I don't know. I just don't get it. That book. Well, uh, I, I think your criticism has some merit in that it's blue in the Empire Strikes Back. But but we I mean, one way to explain it, if they hadn't done that in the Empire Strikes Back, is that every lightsaber has a slightly different hue. And, and of course, we know because we're nerds that those are from kyber crystals being all of them different and da 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 da. And then, you know, if, if a Sith has a lightsaber, the kyber crystals bleed and blah, blah, blah. So, But <laughs> but like every lightsaber can be slightly different color. And you remember, of course, the one that he constructed uh, from in Return of the Jedi, which those scenes got cut, but we know that he constructed the lightsaber, um, and I assume he used some kyber crystals that he f- knew where they were. I don't know, but it was green and not blue. So lightsabers are varying colors. Very you know, fancy. we've had purple, I, I, we've had white. We, you know, yeah, but I, I don't, I still don't buy that because that that lightsaber is Anakin's. Yeah, and and no, Anakin's lightsaber was blue. Okay, but that that seems like a minor nitpick. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I mean, we, That's were, all I'm we were we were nit- we're trying to nitpick here now. So uh, okay. Yeah, well, I'll I have things. I I have criticisms that aren't nitpicks. I I I, I uh, hold your criticisms as valid, Joe. Okay, cool. <laughs> what about blood spilt by a lightsaber? That's pretty high on the list. <laughs> yeah, you'd think it'd cauterize caut- cauterize the, the wound, but uh, maybe not. Okay. Uh, my, my, some of my criticism, I, in fact, I would say all of my criticism for this film really revolves around pacing. It's a little uneven. Um, and, and some of the cuts really don't work, uh, particularly the, like when we cut, when we're trying to move into the third act, it really feels clunky. Uh, and it has like four or five yeah, cuts of, of the Millennium Falcon At flying Yavin into, into uh, yeah, yeah. four. That is really clunky. <laughs> and like, I just wish that in all the special editions, like could, I, I hate everything they've done in the special editions. But one thing I would appreciate is if they clean that up. We need, we just need one shot of the Millennium Falcon flying into Yavin four. We don't need 25. Well, like I don't get it. And then there is that <laughs> long distance shot that is supposed to show off the rebel base from the mm-hmm. outside in the trees. And it's very tall as a structure. And in the distance, you can, Barely see Han and Chewie talking to some rebel dude and they are so far off. And that particular shot is not a bad one, but it's it doesn't feel like anything else in the entire film. And you can't hear them talking and it just lasts on screen like, OK, so what are you showing off? It's it's one of the uh, the most boring drab places in any Star Wars film. Yeah. What are you what are you yeah, trying I- to show off? I think I know that I think I know the shot you're talking about, and it's it's a long it's like it's like not 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 long after the sequence of the Millennium Falcon flying in, right? And like all that entire sequence moving into the third act, it's just like cut, 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 cut. There's no motivation behind the yeah. These that's it's really strange. Look, we all know that the special <laughs> editions they they weren't they weren't to fix mistakes. They were they were to add them. <laughs> <laughs> nice. uh, yes. <laughs> This this is why I watch the despecialized versions of of the original Star Wars. I know. I I feel like I, I, you know off the microphone. We need to talk about how to do that because I I have the specialized versions and they suck. Well, uh, you, you're um you know you shouldn't do it. It's a bad thing to do. But yes, I can help you. With I that. I really you know <laughs> <I'm> kidding. <laughs> just to go on a small tangent, I really really hope that Disney re releases all three of the original trilogy without any of the special edition junk that they added. Well, the problem is that Fox is the distributor of those three films. <sighs> That's the problem. They would have to come to some sort of arrangement or agreement or something. And they're competing studios. Do you think that's going to happen? I, Not ever. I, I hate how, how money is involved with all of this. Of I know. Course. I know. <laughs> uh, um, all right. So is there anything else that anybody wants to say about this film before we wrap things up? Well, let's, Tim, did you have any criticisms of this film? Because I know it's your your fourth favorite of, uh, you know, you have Empire Strikes Back, Force Awakens, Rogue One, and then A New Hope. Like, so it's down below yeah. those on your I, list. I think for me, the, the, the main criticism that I have, and I, I, you know, I don't have, I don't have more detailed criticisms, but, but I would say that my main criticism about A New Hope is that you can tell that it is the first film. It is still mm-hmm. trying to find its voice. It's still uh, kind of rocky. Uh, it doesn't have, you know, it doesn't have all of the, all of the things nailed down. Like, for example, you know, I, I think at this point, George didn't know that he was going to make Luke and Leia family. <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> you know? He says he did, but maybe probably yeah, not. I don't, I don't think he, I don't think he had come to that realization yet. Um, I, I think some of the story that uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi gives Luke about his dad um, and then tells him that, you know, he was killed by Darth Vader. I think, again, that's another story item that feels uh, like he didn't know where see, he was going to take that. I'm going to have to disagree with you because I was watching it again last <laughs> night. I, I know I'm in the minority yeah. on this opinion because many people hold this opinion that you, you do, Tim, and it's a valid one. But I'm watching Obi-Wan and the, there's some looks that he gives and some some hesitation that I think he's crafting a story to tell Luke as he goes. And I think hmm. that's – I to me, I think it's obvious that he's doing that. Like he's not it, – it, to me, it's clear that he's giving Luke the facts that 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 are not technically lies but that don't tell the whole story. Right. That, that's what's clear to me. Even, even when – I mean – I suppose if we didn't have the films following up on it, you would maybe wouldn't be looking for it. But I, you know, it works for me. It works for me. Well, well, I, I'm the 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 thing that I'm saying is, I I feel like, and and this is no fault of its own, but a new hope was made thinking that there wasn't going to be movies after this. It yeah. was made yeah. as a single film, 
and it then was made into a trilogy. And you well, see, yeah. you see some of those things uh, that to me are apparent. So that's why I I feel like you know Empire Strikes Back is so much more fleshed out because now now there's direction. Now there's you know, mm-hmm. there's somewhere to go. There's a story to be told here. Whereas A New Hope still feels like, uh, we're still trying to figure out what that is. Yeah, because one of the reasons that this is one of my top two favorite Star Wars films is that it wants to be an adventure, but it also wants to be a comedy. And it also <laughs> wants to be an epic. And the other Star Wars films don't settle on that particular combination of genres. I disagree. Empire Strikes Back hits all of those notes and does it far better. It hits comedy, drama, and what was the three you said? Comedy, um, adventure, and epic. And it hits all three of those and does it much better than A New Hope. See, I I definitely know that some of the performance is better and the jokes, the best jokes are from Empire. But I think of Empire as much more of like a, a little bit of a drama and a little bit of a melodrama and even like a dark drama. And and for those reasons, I, I see it as it dar- is so dark in nature that it doesn't even feel the same as a to a child, you know. Because remember, I'm, I'm painting my picture from when I was 12 when I when watching these movies, and I'm thinking, you know, to my older brother when we watched A New Hope, I, I, I we we were just on the floor in stitches because of how uh, awkward and uh, odd the behavior of all the characters were together when they were trying to flee from the death star. <laughs> so it was that long segment of trash compactors, you know, all of them nearly dying three <laughs> PO really believing that they were dying. Curse my metal body. I wasn't fast enough. You know, what, what's the likelihood that Han Solo winds up dying in a trash compactor with the princess <laughs> of Alderaan? Like the, the, pro, the possibility of that is still even bizarre. Like this, mm-hmm. the, what is the chances here? And it was just so funny. So then like the next weekend or something, we watched The Empire Strikes Back, and it certainly sends chills up and down my spine. It's thought-provoking. It's 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 intriguing. There, there's all these secrets, not just Vader secrets, but also Yoda secrets. Like, mm-hmm. why was Yoda? Why was Yoda intentionally tricking, you know, Luke? And we're dwelling on Luke's flaws in the movie. Like his friends are even criticizing him, his mentors, and 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 then you get to you know, cloud city and who's this Lando guy? Is he a creep or is he a really good guy? Or he, is he just a con man? You know, there's all this intrigue and empire that to a child, it doesn't feel, it feels like, yes, it is an adventure and it isn't, it's still this epic, but the, the lightheartedness takes the back seat. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's true. And that's what makes empire a better movie in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, I don't think we can, I don't think we can, Go away from this film having not talked about how whiny Luke is. My goodness. It's not fair. I want to go to Tashi Station. It's just, it's, I was so power like, converters. Oh, uh, yeah. It's so like, I, I mean, I, I love to hate Luke in this movie. Thanks is right. I'm never going to get out of here. <laughs> what, uh, what do you think, Tim? I don't know. I, I don't. Uh, that's not one of the things that bothers me about this movie. I didn't say it bothered me. I just said it's 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 a thing. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's like it's so different from Luke that we get in the later movies, right? Well, and and uh, I I find that enjoyable, you know, because you you um I I think you do see a, a really good character arc for oh, yeah. for Luke that for sure that he is able to like because in a New Hope he just wants to get out of Tatooine. Like it's for him, it's not about the fact that the empire is this terrible Nazi organization, you know, Mm. it's not about that. He just wants to leave Tatooine. And I think that by the end of, by the end of this trilogy, he understands the, the gigantic, um, proportions of, you know, of everything. Well, you know, the, the episodes four, five and six are really kind of in a way, a coming of age story for Luke Skywalker. Yeah. Like he, he learned, he goes from this whiny kid who wants to get off this, uh, this desert forsaken backwater planet to, you know, then he's trying to live up to his mentors. And then in the end he has to decide, is he going to be seduced by the dark side like his father or will be, he be a Jedi also like his father. And, you know, and and it's kind of a growing up story for him. And and so there's that, you know, there's that aspect of the, the, the trilogy that, that really works well too. Yeah. Um, 
I think the the only other thing that I that I will say um, is that this this film, what it sparked in me was this interest, this like may, I would call it borderline obsession with who are the Jedi, what were yeah. the Jedi, <laughs> and. Yeah. I don't think you want that question to be answered, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> and and I I really hope, I really do hope that we get a live action film that has a ton of Jedi in it and it's <laughs> awesome. I really we want We haven't that. had that yet. Yes, we have not had that yet. But I really hope that we get it. I really do. Well, it's going to be hard. It would have to be set before like the events of episode one at this point, because we already know the Jedi are lame by episode one. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still rooting for the idea of a young Obi-Wan Kenobi film that happens post the Revenge of the Sith and it shows him trying to take care of some business, you know. That is the other thing I was thinking about watching A New Hope is, you know, I in my in previously I thought, well, what's it's so weird that like Obi-Wan just uh, he goes off and lives the rest of his life on Tatooine after Revenge of the Sith. And then watching this, I'm like, no, he's totally been doing stuff. He's totally been places that we, you know, and I know you've said, Tim, that he, he is, you know, in the Clone Wars, which I haven't gotten to yet. But but my thought after watching New Hope is no, he hasn't been on this planet for twenty years. Give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, Ewan McGregor has publicly said that he is so down for a trilogy on just Obi Wan Kenobi, and I am so down with and, that too. Oh, I, I, would, I could dig it. I, I could dig it. Yes, I would. I mean, take my money. Take my well, money. And now. the other thing about it is that. When it comes right down to it, we don't understand why Aldo one would, you know, let him, you know, forfeit his life. That was, yeah, that was something that bothered me. It's like, okay, he sees Luke, he lifts up his sword, and Vader's like, "I'm going in for the kill," and then he disappears. Like, why, why, why? We've never seen like, a Jedi just yeah, sacrifice we take it themselves. on faith that there is a significant influence on Luke's progression using the Force because Obi Wan is on the other side influencing the force in his favor but yeah but 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 why i mean like why was that the <laughs> right call why would that be the right solution when obi-wan kenobi at this point in time knows like hey i i whooped this kid darth vader a long time ago <laughs> and frankly I, i've got some pretty good jedi skills and i should yeah. be teaching luke and who knows if yoda will be good for him as a teacher. Yoda will probably just, you know, wave a stick around and complain about youngsters these days and then crawl back into his <laughs> hobbit hole. So why would, well, you see, but why would Obi-Wan put it off? I, I think that this is one of those things that the expanded universe that we've come to appreciate, you know, that, that's what it's, that's what it reveals, right? Yeah, because, I want, but I want a Rogue One level movie about Obi Wan Kenobi to explain that to I want, me. I yes. don't want an I want three, animated I want three of them. Yeah, I yeah exactly. Them. I I I want I want a live action movie about Obi Wan because because I I totally agree with you. I think knowing what we know about Obi Wan, you know, with the additional um, uh, stuff like like you know the prequels and also what what I have seen him uh, in in the Clone Wars animated series. Uh, this is not a man that sacrifices himself quite in the way that he did in A New Hope. It, yeah, it, the, yeah. The, like those two characters don't seem to be the same one necessarily. Yeah. And and uh, uh, there's there's not much I can say about that except for you know let's yeah let's get uh, let's get a prequel series to uh, close this plot hole by George. I will tell you one of the things that the Clone Wars has answered for me is how in the world, having watched the prequels, does Obi-Wan not remember who 3PO and R2-D2 are? Well, in the Clone Wars, basically in the first season, already answered that for me. Obi-Wan doesn't give put any stock in droids at all. He wants to – he's like, oh, Anakin, you still have a droid that you've had around forever and yeah. you haven't wiped its memory? Like it's almost <laughs> like droids are nothing to him. Yeah. So that kind of answers how he – I don't seem to recall having ever owned it. What do you mean you don't remember R2-D2 and C-3PO, you dolt? <laughs> yeah Yeah. all right so anything else before we give our final ratings that's it for me yeah i'm set all right so who wants to go first give your rating i will i love this film i already said that this is one of my favorite films of the star wars franchise i i love young leia i love young han i love young luke i uh i i love how they are riffing off of each other they are so fun together They, they seem like real people for that reason the film doesn't need to put them up on a pedestal 
not at this stage. They they don't need to be made of marble. They don't need to be great paragons of heroism, and, and that's good. It, it adds a lot of personality to the Rebel Alliance, which, um, in contrast to the Empire, they really need so that you you love them that much more. And then the fanfares, oh man, the music's so enriching. I can't get enough of it, and I feel even more comfortable revisiting this film with the kids at an early age because I think it's easier to digest. Like the dialogue is simpler and the fun of the film is simpler. It's not as complicated and angsty as it is in empire or even return of the Jedi or the force awakens. My seven-year-old can really handle it. So I love it. I, I give it two thumbs up. I've given it essentially five stars in the past. I wrote a written review about it. It's still available online and uh, I'll never stop watching it. It's, it's just so great. Yeah, I, I will. I'm going to make a heretical comparison to some, uh, but uh, so to me, A New Hope is sort of like Star Trek, the original series. In, listen, bear, bear with me. Hear me out. Uh, in that it is not the best in the series, but it sets the tone and it, it starts something good. It lays the foundation for greatness to come, and it's great in its own right. So in that way, I think the comparison is apt uh, as a Trekkie, um, but also as someone who loves Star Wars. So A New Hope has a special place in my heart because it was the first, and it started this journey uh, with this uh, galaxy far, far away that was, was a long time ago. And in, and you know what? Having watched it again, it does it really well. It, it for especially especially for a 1977 film, it 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 just sort of blows you away what they were able to do, what George Lucas was able to accomplish with A New Hope. Uh, it really is a great film, and I would give it uh, – I don't remember what I've given it in the past. I, I think something like four out of five stars, but it's immaterial. You need to watch this film. It's part of pop culture. It's part of our – at this point, it's part of our culture that you need to be aware of and watch, <laughs> if nothing else. Uh, but it's an enjoyable part of our culture, and it's great. Oh, man. I think uh, I think people are not going to like me after this episode. <laughs> Oh no. Um, so I, I give uh, Star Wars A New Hope three and a half stars. And the reason why I would give th- A New Hope three and a half stars is because while this is a great film and I, I agree with a lot of what TJ and Joe are saying, um, I think it does set up a greatness. Uh, however, for reasons that we've talked about in this film, I feel that it does feel confused in the grander scheme of things, in the grander story. Uh, there are a lot of things that feel uh, again, like it's you know still finding its feet. So I would give it three and a half stars. I do agree though that this is a must-watch film. If you've never watched The New Hope, uh, there are so many jokes that you don't understand. Um, <laughs> like the yeah, there, our our culture is is infused with Star Wars. So I, I think it would be uh, it would be a huge mistake not to watch this film. So yeah, that's uh, that's my rating. Uh, all right, so. Uh, where can people find you, Joe, on on the internet if uh, if they want to continue to talk to you about this film? Yeah, I'd like to talk about episode eight and nine, especially. I am on <laughs> Twitter. You can find me there. I am JCS Darnell. All right. And what about you, TJ? Uh, so I am TJ Draper Pro on Twitter. I do enjoy talking about Star Wars. Uh, I really love it. And uh, I would love to continue talking with you about it. All right, and I am Smith Timmy Tim on Twitter, and uh, I love talking about Star Wars any time, all time. Tim, I just want to say it has been great to have all three of us uh, from the Retake <laughs> Podcast on a show together for the first time, nineteen episodes in. Can you? I, I don't know how that happened. <laughs> Finally, we did it. Finally, let's uh, not trademark. wait for another nineteen episodes before we get together again. <laughs> let's not. Yeah. Uh, All right, so you can find uh, the show notes for this episode at nightowl.fm slash retake slash 19, and you will find all the links and things that we talked about throughout this uh, show. Uh, Thank you so much for taking this galactic journey with us, and we hope to see you next time. Cheers. into Toshi Station to pick up some power converters. Well, come on, Red, let's go. This R2 unit has a bad motivator, look. It just isn't fair.
Oh, Biggs is right. I'm never gonna get out of here. Not unless you can alter time, speed up the harvest, or teleport me off this rock. Wait a minute, where'd she go? Bring her back, play back the entire message. But it's a whole nother year. Where are you going? Looks like I'm going nowhere. 10,000? You can almost buy our own ship for that. You bet I could. I'm not such a bad pilot myself. We don't have to sit here and listen. 